0: So as I mentioned last week, Lent is usually a good time for a sermon series. Um, Pastor Prem on Sunday mornings is considering what Luther would say about the appointed text. And if by chance you miss Sunday's sermon, you gotta go out and listen to it. It was a doozy. Do we use doozy anymore? On on Wednesdays, however, our Lenten theme. It loosely is the language of Lent, that there's things that are connected to Lent that maybe we don't really understand or appreciate, and because of that, we uh, don't necessarily practice it as fervently as we once did. We started off with the, the thought that we are dosed, and that's an important thing when you think about Lent. No, none of us is guaranteed that we're going to be alive when Jesus comes again. And so taking stock of our life, at least the days that we have left, especially in, in focus of what Christ gave to us, uh, Advent take, uh, excuse me, Lent takes on a very uh, thoughtful time of, of reconsidering our priorities and what's important. We talked about it being a family, that uh, we often maybe give the wrong impression about Lent. What I'm giving up for Lent. and so we talk like it's almost my own personal experience when scripture is very clear that most of the time that god is talking he's talking to all of us yeah we've got the individual prophets and etc where we see him talking but in every message there's a message for each one of us together as a group tonight's message is no different we talked about penance, and I purposely changed the word. Uh, I I changed it to penitence because my understanding of penance is not the same as some, and I didn't want to confuse it, but this is really a mindset where I I, I come to grips with my own sin, and when I realize the depth of my sin, I I, I truly begin to appreciate all the more why Jesus had to die for me, and that my, my life's Mission is not to judge other people. I'm the last one to even do that. And that repentant attitude then truly begins to shape how I see my daily life. Last week we talked about fasting, and, and although the general tune of that, that message was about going without food, the greater message about fasting is that it teaches us self discipline, self control. And Lent is a time where we say, what are those things that are controlling my life that maybe need to be readdressed? What are those things that are not a part of my life, for whatever reason, that I want to demonstrate some level of self-discipline and incorporating them into our life? Those are the four uh, sermons so far. Each one of these is rooted in Scripture and in the practice and history of the church. Tonight we're going to talk about a difficult one, and you're going to have to work with me on this one. It's foot washing. (laughs) Foot washing, like the rest, is rich in its rootedness in Scripture and its purpose, as well as church history. The problem with foot washing is I don't think anyone in this room is even remotely interested in starting the practice here. That's Okay, we want to learn from foot washing of a practice that needs to be practiced here. We start with Jesus in John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He asked them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them this is the word of the lord now these words were spoken on what we call monday thursday the night before jesus was uh, the night that jesus was betrayed um, this is a night where we acknowledge two commandments that god gave and, and that's really why we call it Maundy, not monday or monday thursday It comes from the Latin word mandatum, which means commandment. And there are commandments that Jesus gives out just hours before he is arrested and put on trial and ultimately suffer death the next day. John 15 says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if you remember that, what's happening at this time, Jesus is actively loving his disciples. In fact, all people. But it's definitely going to be demonstrated as he leaves this meal. He gives them his body and blood for the uh, forgiveness of sins. He demonstrates his love for his disciples by washing their feet. Again, since washing feet is not a practice that we do regularly around here, it's important to understand the background of the whole thing. At Jesus' day, it was was very common, actually it was a part of the practice of every home, uh, to have household servants Wash the feet of guests as they enter the house. Since most people wore only sandals, and because there were no sidewalks or paved roads, just dirt paths, guests would often show up with dirty feet. So at the door, a pitcher, a basin of a, a water, and a towel well, these were marks of genuine hospitality. Guests would leave their open sandals at the door so that they wouldn't track a lot of dirt into the house. And then the servants would follow up and make the guest feel refreshed, comfortable. I probably would equate it to showing up at somebody's house and they had a masseuse there. And as you're sitting down waiting, they come, they start rubbing your shoulders. Oh, that feels so good. Thank you very much. A a similar kind of impact when it came to washing of feet. But let's be clear, foot washing was a servant's task. And so it was considered demeaning by those who weren't servants. After all, feet are stinky, sweaty dirty when the disciples got to that upper room on that evening there was a pitcher basin of water and a towel at the door but at the point of our text the feet of all in attendance remained dirty so Jesus washed the disciples feet He did it not just to make them comfortable. He did it not just because it was uh, an act that was obviously overlooked. He did it as a demonstration of his life's purpose. Actually, he also did it to show his disciples what their purpose in life is. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, we read, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Later that evening, that's exactly what he did. He suffered on the behalf not only of his disciples, but for all people. Leaving that as an example for all those who follow in his footsteps. See, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he simply acted out of character. That was his purpose. And it still is to this very day to serve you and me. Now, what's going to help with the application to your life is the response of the disciples. All of them knew foot washing was in order. It was part of what they did when they gathered for the Passover. They knew it. But none of them wanted to do it for the others. Now imagine if you were in that group of people that would become your responsibility to washing feet, not only on that evening, but especially with that group of disciples from that day forward. Now, one of the things that disciples are noted for in Scripture is that they spend way too much time arguing with each other over who's the greatest. Do you think any one of them could bring themselves to the point of actually volunteering to wash feet? In their mind, greatest would never do something like that. That would be for the weakest, the lowliest amongst the group. So they're caught off guard when Jesus grabs the basin, dons a towel, a foot-washing teacher. That didn't make sense. Now, before Jesus could wash his feet, Peter stuck his foot in his mouth, saying, No, you shall never wash my feet. Peter thought he was being considerate of Jesus' pride, but in fact, Peter was protecting his own pride. He did not think that Jesus should be washing his feet. That was the responsibility of one of the other disciples who should have volunteered for the task, but didn't. Peter thinks by denying the Lord, surely the one that should have been washing in the first place would step up and say, You know, Peter, you're right. Let me finish the job. But before that could happen, Jesus confronted him he said unless i wash you you have no part of me and so peter proceeds to stick his other foot in his mouth asking for something that none of the other disciples asked for nor did they receive he said lord not just my feet but my hands and my head as well It's so easy to be like that, isn't it? We may not say it out loud. We may not consciously think of it. But like Peter, our inaction reveals the same self-centeredness. We think proudly that selflessly serving others is really not our responsibility. Oh, we'll say we'll do it. But when the task is presented to the group, do we have lines of people saying, no, I'll do it? Or do we still find ourselves looking for the one amongst the group that will volunteer? We'll practice silence. Surely one of you can't stand silence. You know a job needs to be done, and you raise your hand, and you reluctantly do it, but it's not because you want to. It's not because that was your first thought. Peer pressure becomes so hard, we overcome our self-centeredness and just agree to get it done. Worse yet, do you really believe that your inaction is a sin? A rebellion against God. An offense against his holy will. Or do you, like Peter, justify to yourself why you shouldn't be the one to wash feet? Same as all the other disciples, but when he confronted Jesus, he had to up the ante. Okay, if you're going to be doing the foot washing, Jesus will then wash my whole body. Nobody else asked for that. That must be kind of cool. What our Lenten journey allows us to do is to see how grievous our sins actually are. See, our sins are so serious that God Himself had to come and take the punishment upon Himself that we deserve. And this is why we do 40 days. Throughout the Lenten journey, hopefully we realize how empty and hopeless our condition actually is. Then, and only then, are we ready to receive God's free gift of full forgiveness. we stop justifying sin, when we stop putting sins into a level of degrees. Okay, I could have volunteered, but I didn't. That is not as bad as, really, it's not. You see, the purpose of foot washing is not to humiliate or embarrass God's people. Actually, it's to develop the mindset that Jesus had. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to death, on the cross. Foot washing points to the humility of the Son of God. We talk about him giving his life on the cross, Freely for us. But how often do we talk about the fact that within hours of him being arrested he's washing his disciples' feet? If he knew you had only a couple of hours to live would you be doing that? Or would you make sure that your things at home were being protected? Making sure that you had thought of every way possible to potentially get out of the arrest in the first place would you actually be thinking about other people and that's what we do during lent during Lent, we look at the cross of jesus you know what he's doing he's thinking about you and what you need so that you can be with him forever He continues to think about you every day. He sends his holy angels to guard you in all your ways. He serves you as a slave, quietly and humbling, washing your feet every day. Even now, he's invited you to come into his house so that he can serve you. I know you had to get into the car. You had to drive here. You had to come in. You had to sit down. You're doing your best to pay attention. It sure seems like you're doing a lot of work here. But in all actuality, the coming together is the people of God. Especially in worship is God's doing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He calls us to worship and here's where jesus serves us he serves us with the announcement that your sins though they be many are forgiven in the name of the father son and the holy spirit he serves you through the singing the repetition the hearing of god's word through the preaching of god's word if somehow or another, a connection is established between you and the speaker. Something he says or how it's said hits home. That's not me doing it. I'm not that good. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Jesus serving us in his spirit. He wants us to find peace in his presence. He wants us to know that we are cleaned. So that he can send us on our way refreshed in the grace that he gives us. And then the Savior turns to us as he did to those first disciples who gathered with him in the worship service in the upper room. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. We're not going to take your shoes off. We're not going to ask you to go through that experience. I'm not sure any of you really like the idea of somebody touching your feet, let alone touching somebody else's foot. What we do do it symbolically, literally, really, when we put others' needs before our own. Isn't that the purpose of our congregation—to love one another as Jesus has loved us, to build each other up in love. So when we gather in worship and and throughout the week we gather to not only be encouraged and clean by jesus himself but also to be used by god to wash each other's feet to bring some kind of relief and encouragement and new energy to each other's lives we all need to feel the gentle embrace of god's love and it's one thing to hear it preached regularly It's another thing to actually experience it when a brother and or sister in Christ acknowledges it personally with you. That's what we give each other as friends, as spouses, as parents, as children, as grandparents, as neighbors. We try to find simple, thoughtful ways to relieve the stress of life for each other. We renew each other in love as Christ continually renews us. Now, you might object. If you, look, if you live like that, you'll be used and abused. If you live that like that, you'll lose all your self-respect. If you act like a slave, then you'll become a slave. Kind of sounds like Peter, doesn't it? didn't quite get what was going on always had a need to be served by others even to tell jesus what the appropriate way was to serve him what's most important about the the foot washing example is what is said at the beginning of our text Oh, actually, this is at the end. I skip this one. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a master greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. How could Jesus do that? Well, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. Jesus could serve Jesus could wash his disciples' feet because he knew who he was actually serving. He knew who he was before he put the towel on. Oh, others may have thought, oh, look, he's a slave, he's a servant, he's washing my feet. But Jesus didn't have to prove himself to anybody. We wash our the feet of others because we know that we are new people. We have the Spirit of God within us. We are the body of Christ, and he moves our hearts and our hands and our feet to work together in serving him and in serving each other. You see, we live in the love of God. Service is his nature, his purpose, his joy, and as his children it is our per it is our nature it's our purpose and by god's grace it is our joy let that love live in you and through you know that you are by his grace a child of god that we together are a temple of the holy spirit that you are from god and you're going to god you are his child now and you'll be his child in eternity let the lord's great love be your guide again pastor preem and i try our very best not to tell you what to do but some of you may be looking for some examples how do i let the lord's great love be my guide well he desires us to see each other as a body, as brothers and sisters. Act that way. Practice greeting each other in the love of Jesus. Now, are we going to be like Peter and go, I didn't really hear that, and if I did, I'm hoping somebody else does it for me, or maybe I can get out of here because I don't really want to do it. Why is that spirit amongst you? Why is the thought of of selflessly giving to somebody else so offsetting, especially in light of what Christ has done for you? Think about getting to know somebody a little better. Ask questions. Do you know that people actually like to talk about themselves when they think the other person cares? Why is that? Because it's hard living. It's a challenge. We come back again and again and again. Because when we're away from the gathering here. Life has a tendency to beat us up. That's why we're encouraged to pray for each other. To encourage each other. To compliment each other. To build each other up in the Lord. Trust me. Others need it. And to be honest, you need it too. Let God do His work through you and then through us all as His people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.